Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. Katie, Katie, Katie. We have a great guest in store, Ingrid Christensen. Inco, she is an interpreter. She owns a translation company and there's so much that goes into that. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that and things that you don't even think about, you know, we, you just don't think about it. So you have been all over the place. <laughs> I saw you in Chicago. When I left you in Chicago, you were just getting going. Yeah, but yeah, I'm traveling a little bit. But when you were in Chicago, you had many clients that you were looking for. How did you find things? Because I know through through COVID, obviously things have changed a lot in the offerings of stores and in production. So how did you find things this time? Well, it's getting a little bit easier than it's been since COVID hit. I find that I have certain relationships with people in retail stores and I've made connections with them so they can get what I call consignment boxes from different stores out of Chicago. And I call it a traveling dressing room to my clients. So I send them stuff to Minneapolis and then we go through it together, whether it's virtually or in person and they choose what they want and what they don't want, it gets sent back and then they pay for it. And it's worked out really well. You know, for every client, I'm looking for something different. And I don't, if I find a jacket, I don't sell it then to 15 people. Like that's not what I do. So I I make it a little harder for me, but it's getting a little bit easier. I think that designers and vendors and manufacturers are able to produce a little bit more. So what you're seeing in fall right now was created and produced probably a year to a year and a half ago. Shoes are still challenging. So everybody so take good care of your take good care of your shoes. Well, you're just not gonna see a lot of great new shoe styles in many of the stores quite yet. Right. Say I need your help with something. And I can't believe I'm the I'm I'm sure I'm not the first person who's done this. So I I think we can figure out how to walk people through this. I had the most beautiful black wool over sweater. What do we call it? A cardigan? Yes. It was a cardigan, the longer, the et cetera piece. I love it. I wore it constantly. Somehow it ended up in the wash and dryer. Oh God, Katie. I think it will fit my oldest grandchild. (laughs) So I need to replace it. Well, actually the one I know you're talking about, because there goes the Lisa being the savant. And I probably sold that to you eight years ago. Right. That particular company has remade that exact sweater and brought it back this fall for the first time. So if you want that sweater, you can order it again. I have to have that sweater. It is probably one of the pieces in my wardrobe that is worn continually. But so you brought up the point. It's eight years old. And I can't remember exactly what I paid for it. And that's really not important because everybody has a level of affordability that they want. But I can tell you that every time I wear it, it's probably costing me pennies because I wear it so much. So those pieces, those important pieces, and I'm certain there's no way to get that wool back. No, I just had this conversation with a client last night on the phone. I have another client that did exactly the same thing you did. 
And they thought if they laid it out and blocked it, if they rewashed it, laid it out and blocked it, it would be perfectly fine. And they called me and I said, no, it will not be perfectly fine. You either have to give it to someone who's a lot smaller than you or (laughs) donate it. Why is that? I mean, no, because we'll, that's why you need to dry clean anything that's wool. End of story. Done. Do not wash wool. Okay. But seriously, I know I'm in a little, you can wash cashmere. Okay, but why, why when a sheep gets wet, don't they just shrink up to nothing? I mean, seriously. <laughs> I don't know, Katie. Maybe, maybe they're, maybe it gets smaller. I don't know, but they don't go through a washing machine. <laughs> sheep don't go through a washing machine. They just get wet from the rain. Oh, with soap. All right, fine. On The View in Your Mirror, we love Continental Diamond. We are excited to talk about this amazing place. It really is special. The minute you walk in the door, you feel the joy coming out of the most amazing staff, many with 20 plus years experience and all have their hearts and souls into making your experience fantastic. Helene Pessis is the co-owner and head buyer of Continental Diamond. She's a friend of our podcast and has been a guest with us as well. Located just 10 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, adjacent to the West End with great parking, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Go into Continental Diamond. With the holidays fast approaching, check their website. They do have some upcoming trunk shows that will be announced, so keep going back to make sure you don't miss them. Continental Diamond, continentaldiamond.com. Ingrid Christensen, welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with you, ladies. It's going to be a fun conversation. As Lisa says, three girls talking. (laughs) Three girls talking. What more fun can you have? Well, I don't think much. I don't think much. Your business, translation. What realms do you translate in? (laughs) Well, um, at the very base, we take anything from one language to another. Um, the, the bulk of the work that we're doing falls into two verticals. Uh, we have a, a corporate vertical that serves corporations. So that looks like marketing material, internal, external communications, HR, legal, think, you know, manufacturing, med tech, med device, consumer goods, really anything that, um, or any organization that either sells a service or product to a a global market and or they employ multilingual employees or they're selling their services or products to to the multilingual uh, population in the United States. So that's kind of where that whole corporate world plays. And then we have a community division that serves community-based organizations like school districts, social services, nonprofits, healthcare facilities, things of that nature, um, non, you know, NGOs, nonprofits, that tends to be either serving the refugee, mostly serving the refugee or immigrant population here in the U.S. So that's, that's it. So you have people who are working in a clinic when someone comes in who's not native speaking, meeting with a doctor, and that person is going to translate what's going on there. I think we mm-hmm. all probably are really aware of that. Until this moment, I just completely didn't think about the fact of what all of the mass amounts of 
organization that needs to be done if you are a business from another country trying to get into the U.S. or vice versa? Yeah, I like to say that if you live in Minnesota, or in the world, mostly, and you've ever purchased a banana, <laughs> I think we've all bought a banana, um, there's a ton of translation that occurs from the time that that banana is growing on the tree to the time that you're peeling it open in your kitchen, right? Think about who, who communicates with the farmer and says, I want to order, you know, a million bananas. How does the, how does that shipment of bananas get to some sort of transportation to get to your local grocery store. So there's so many touch points along that line just to get a banana into your into your cereal bowl or wherever you're putting your banana. So I, if you think about it from that aspect, almost everything has to be translated. And actually our industry from a revenue standpoint is larger than the global music industry. It's just wow. not a lot of people know about it. Wow. Okay. That is, yeah, that's a big wow. Okay. So now let's go back. You're coming out of the University of Minnesota. You're getting close to graduation. You really don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And um, I had a, a job as a waitress at a sports bar that I did not like and needed to do something else. I thought I was going to take a year off and um, go into law school. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I remember reading the Minnesota Daily, which is the University of Minnesota newspaper at the Espresso Royale that was way before there was a Starbucks on every corner, uh, reading the newspaper in the back, you know, the one tabs, because that's how we used to have to find jobs. And there was a job posting um, for a translation agency based in Minneapolis. And it sounded really interesting. I thought, well, this is way better than schlepping, you know, beer around the sports bar. I don't even like sports. I'm not sure how I ended up there, but this is, this is way better. So I applied for the job, got the job, had no idea that even like translation or interpreting was a thing, right? I grew up in Minnesota, not exactly, you know, the multilingual melting pot of the world. And um, my eyes were just open to a whole new world and a whole new you know, set of possibilities. And, and you know, there's been lots of twists and turns down my, down my journey, but that was, that was it. That's how I got started. And what was that first job? What was the, the job title? I was a scheduler. I was a scheduler. So basically, we, so this... <laughs> If you can think about it, yeah, I know that you can remember this, but sometimes when I try to explain to teenagers, they're like, what? So that was back before, right? Like email was a thing. I mean, some people had cell phones, but not really. Um, and so we would receive faxes, stacks of faxes all day from different facilities across the Twin Cities. We need a Spanish interpreter, ASAP here. We need a Vietnamese interpreter Tuesday at three o'clock, you know, all sorts of requests coming in. And as my job, I would take the facts and I would write it in, in our, in our job log, right? Cause we had to have multiple job logs and we had to report it different places. And then I'd get on the phone and start trying to find an interpreter. Come, you know, are you available Monday at three o'clock? Yes. No. When they were, then we'd fax them the job request. It was, you know, that's how it, that's how we had to do the, the work at that time. So that, that was my first foray into this kind of world. Um, at the time, my, my boss, bless her soul, she um, saw that I spoke Spanish and she thought, you know, I remember her telling me, she's like, I, that's great that you're doing the scheduling job, 
She's like, but you can make a lot more money as an interpreter. And we could actually use your skills as an interpreter. Can we test you? And I said, sure, you can test me. And I spoke Spanish. And so they tested my Spanish and they're like, yep, you're great. This, we're going we're gonna to switch you into the interpreting role. I thought, oh, okay, this is great. I still had really no idea of what I was doing. So <laughs> that kind of fast forwarded me into, I think it was the same afternoon. She came down she's like, we've got an emergency at Children's Hospital. Can you do it? I thought, well, yes, I'm sure, absolutely, right? Yes, and you, you figure it out. So I, I remember walking into Children's Hospital. I was so nervous. I, I had no idea what I was doing. My knees were shaking and I was sweating. And I walked into this, um, I don't know if you've had, if you have children or you've ever been in a, in a, inside a, a treatment room, right? There's this beautiful Latino couple holding this baby girl and she's crying. She's, you know, sick with something. And uh, the doctor came in and I started interpreting. And it was like this magic started happening because the parents all of a sudden could understand what was going on, right? Because their biggest worry was their baby girl. Why was she crying? Why did she have a fever? What was going on? And being able to be a voice for the voiceless at that moment was something that I had never experienced, something that I never even thought possible. And it was like I was I was hooked. I fell in love instantly with with the job, with with the profession, with the art of translation. And that led me down a long path to <laughs> 25 years later where I am now. I can't imagine that feeling, that moment you were able to help those people understand what's going on. Because, heck, even when we understand what's going on with the medical profession, it's still overwhelming if you've got a sick child. Super overwhelming. I mean, I think we all have experiences either being a parent or caring for somebody. We've all had to care for somebody, right? I mean, my parents are are getting older and there's certain things that I need to help them with. And even my level, just when we're speaking English of what I'm able to pick up because of my experiences or my comfort with technology or my comfort with fast communication is, is that much further than some of the people that I'm, that I'm caretaking for. And I think, my God, can you imagine doing this in a language that you didn't understand right. in a medical system that didn't make sense yeah. in a country that you're not, you know, you're not used to. Go back to that office. You don't have a lot of computer. You're probably working with Rolodexes in terms of getting a hold of this person who you need to call. That's the Spanish interpreter or whatever language interpreter that you need. You're now managing the volumes of people and the volumes of jobs. And I'm assuming that all of these people, they're not employed by that company. They're contractors. So then Correct. that's a whole they're other level. There's good and there's bad and everything. So then you have to find the good ones. No matter the efficiencies that you have probably seen that have come into your industry over time have got to be amazing. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, first and foremost, people are people and people are strange creatures. We do strange things. Crazy things happen every day. Some of which you can't, you can't control, right? We live in Minnesota. You can't control a snowstorm. You can't control a flat tire. You can't control your kid being sick and not being able to, you know, accept a job. And these are contractors, right? They're hustling. They're hustling to, to get as many jobs as possible during the day. And you don't know if you're going to walk into an appointment that's supposed to be a 30 minute appointment and it turns into a medical emergency and it's six hours. 
right? Well, that messes up the rest of your day and your schedule, but not only your schedule, everybody else's schedule. So there's, there's lots of different things that can happen. And, you know, I have a lot of funny stories to tell about people being people, but in the end, life happens and you just have to learn to, to roll with the punches. And yes, technology has been our friend. And yes, we, we've seen lots of advances in, in our field and ways to do things smarter and, and faster and, and better. But you know what? People are still people. There are people that their grandma has died for like 12 times in a row, or, you know, they have a, they have 16 flat tires every Monday. There's just things that happen <laughs> over and over to certain people. I don't know how some of it you have to work with. We have to, you have to work through a lot of those pieces. You know, we're working with 200 different languages from people from every part of the world. And there's different cultures and there's different ways of communication and there's different ways of doing business. And so I can't take my Minnesota way and apply it to the way I'm doing business. I need to adapt the way that I'm doing business in order to meet not only our clients where they are, but our, our interpreters where they are. In the world we live in now, you would think, right, the world is so much more of an open place with the computer and whatnot. We've seen that that's not necessarily the case. As a woman in this business, have you seen, have you had trouble? Are there countries where it's really difficult to work, especially being a woman or using female interpreters? Yes, I can think of many examples on, on both ends. But for a minute, we'll talk about working with female interpreters because there's some cultures, if you're a female and you're going to a doctor's appointment, you're only, you only feel comfortable with a female interpreter. You're not, it's not culturally acceptable to have a male interpreter if you're going to the OBGYN, for example. And so thinking about making sure that we get the right interpreter in place at the right time so that that, that patient can be seen. And there certainly are other examples where, you know, I've been put in situations as an interpreter where it felt weird to me as a woman working in, I was called a lot to a, a urology clinic and they mostly saw male patients and I was comfortable talking about <laughs> the vast difference a tubes. And <laughs> right? Yeah, I was comfortable talking about erectile dysfunction right. and, and different implants that a person can get. But was the was the patient comfortable with me being there talking about that? I, I don't know. I mean, I just stood in my my professional role at all times. So there's certainly lots of lots of examples of that. Yes, your your answer is yes and. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes and. Now you've used that twice. Tell me about yes and. Well, it keeps the it keeps the conversation open, right? If it, if it's yes but, it closes down immediately. So if it's yes and, you're keeping the the, the flow of communication open and and being willing to think about other options, other ways of being. I, I learned it in an in improv, but I think it's really genius way of trying to communicate. You know, I have a 17 year old, let me tell you, yes, and gets me a lot further than yes, but, or yes, and no. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun. When did you, did you buy the business? Did you eventually buy the business you worked for? Or how did that whole transition happen? Not by the business. I hustled from my mobile office, which is my car from day one. So I, I was a freelancer for six, seven years and loved what I was doing, became certified from the Minnesota Department of Health and the, the Supreme Court. It was doing a lot of like court and legal stuff. It was really fascinating work, right? I was working with the DEA, listening to wiretaps, and I've been in and out of jail more times than, than most people. And so it was really fascinating work. But at, at a certain point, I was tired of the hustle. I was tired of running around. 
And I, and I knew that I had to find a better way, right? Because it's like trading time for money and I needed to figure out something else. And along that journey and along that kind of realization, people are giving me more work than I could handle. So I was, I was hiring out people that I knew in the industry. And it wasn't just Spanish then. People would say, well, do you know somebody that can do Hmong or Somali or Karen? I was like, yes, yes, yes. I, I can help you. We can, we can build this together. And kind of organically turned into a company um, mixed with, yeah, mixed with my passion and determination to do something different and better. And, and finally, it was uh, February 6, 2006. It was a freezing cold morning. I, you know, layered in 9,000 different layers and hats and mittens, um, walked myself into the Secretary of State's office, downtown St. Paul, and hung my little business out and uh, started the company. And here we are. You haven't looked back. Well, I have looked back many times. <laughs> so when COVID hit, did you have to pivot at all in your business? And, and how did you have to pivot? I think that we are still reeling from the effects of COVID. COVID shifted the business of translation and interpreting. We've always been fairly remote, but it shifted it to remote 100% fast and furiously in ways that we were prepared because we had we had been running our business remotely. But our clients had no, they had no understanding how to do it. So it shifted from, from us to do things online to us forcing our clients and taking them on this journey to do things online. And COVID was, was bonkers. Well, it was bonkers for everybody, but our business skyrocketed. I mean, my team was working 14, 15, 16 hours a day, seven, seven days a week, just to keep up with the demand. There was constant demand. I mean, COVID was one thing one day and the next thing it was, you know, the next day it was something else. And so the level and the amount and the volume of translation and interpreting that we had to do was outstanding. It was great from a business aspect. I think we all were a little like three-headed monsters trying to control the the chaos in a world that there was there was no ability to, to, to control anything. Um, so yeah, it, it totally shifted and it completely pivoted the work that we were doing. And I think more than anything, we had to take our clients along the journey and we had to show them the way. Hmm. So you not only were translating the business, you were translating for them how to operate their business. Yeah. I mean, they had, right. They had never been on a zoom before they had never really scheduled anything kind of virtually or remotely. So it was, it was a lot of training it was a lot of communicating. It was a lot of coming up with solutions on the fly. Yeah. It Listen, was- I want to talk more about that, especially because I think there's legal ramifications that come into all of this that I really want to touch on. And then I want to talk about the language of trust. Lisa and I were chatting a little bit before. Trust is such an incredibly important word in everything. And once you lose it, you can never get it back. So I want to talk about that because that is the name of your book, which will be coming out soon. So we're going to be back. On the Viewing Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store, Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. 
Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. The language of trust. I, I had to chuckle. You had an Instagram post recently. Your book is in the pro you're in the process, right? Correct. So through the process, you are getting all sorts of opinions on everything from the cover to probably the font. So you put up something that was so funny. Somebody had been not so nice. You had you had posted a couple of not so nice feedback, pieces of feedback. And you said, that's okay. You know, that's how it's supposed to be. Cause you really do want the real, the real good feedback. In the meantime, you're going to be, somebody posted feedback on what the heck is the cover all about. And you said, meanwhile, I'll be back. I'll be, I'll be over here working on a new cover for my book. So talk to me about, first of all, you got to have thick skin to do this, to go through the process and probably to be in the business that you're in. And you decided to write a book and the language of trust, I got to believe that probably is going to hit on legal ramifications of this business as well. So talk to me about all of that. There's 18 questions mm. in there, but yeah, I know there's a lot there. No. Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think to live a full life, you have to have thick skin, right? Not everybody is going to like everything you do. And I think that that's actually better because how many billion people are there? You, you can't make everybody happy. And if you try to make, you know, five or 10 people happy, I think you're doing, I think you're really doing great. So I, I appreciate that. Book writing process is one of the most vulnerable experiences that I've ever had. It is forcing me to put myself out into the world in a way that I've never done before. And I'm comfortable talking. But putting my words and writing in a book that is going to last until the end of time is something completely different. And so it was the writing hard and time consuming, right? It's not hard. It's not like I was building a, you know, a rocket ship. I, I was writing. It takes talent and time and all the stuff. But I knew it was possible. But what was harder or what is harder, and I haven't even published yet, is the, the concept of putting this out there knowing that not everyone's going to like it. It's my first book. So it's probably not very good, um, <laughs> which is fine, which is fine. People write like millions of books. Well, not millions, but you know, book after book after book. And it's a craft and it's an art and, and you get better with time. Hopefully this is my first book. I, I'm, I'm not a writer. I didn't, I don't have a writer's background. So I'm fine with it not being great. It's the practice that is really fascinating to me and the act and practice for me to become my most vulnerable self and put my words and thoughts out into the world, which I wasn't expecting that. And yeah, there was some a gentleman that doesn't like my book cover. I personally really love the book cover, but that's fine. He's a you know, multi-time New York Times bestseller author, and he thought it was you know garbage. And, and so I think the point in me posting that is that Everyone was like, oh, the book is going to be so great. Congratulations. Can't wait. You're killing it, which is what they see from the outside. But I don't think I was doing a, a good enough job. And I saw room for opportunity for growth and me to show what it's really like. And for me to show that, hey, I'm really scared. This is really vulnerable for me. 
I'm going to put something out that you might hate. You know, this guy hates it. And this is all part of the process. So to be the biggest and best version of me, which is my goal every single day, there's going to be things that suck along the way. And if I'm hiding those things for the sake of what, for my own, my own good is not helpful to me in any way. And it certainly isn't helpful to anyone else. So I'm trying to, as much as possible, just be vulnerable and real with the process. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job. (laughs) I don't think anybody can give you bad, bad grade on that right there. So let's get into the book, The Language of Trust. What compelled you to write this book? What compelled me to write this book? So I kept as you know, I've, I've been in this business for 25 years, the company is turning 17. And I've been reflecting about all things of our industry. What have I learned? What have I experienced? What do I feel like have been some of the most important lessons that I've learned along the way? And I started thinking about how much translation affects each and every person and who who along the trajectory in the process of a translation or an interpretation is affected. And I kept coming back to trust. So I've identified different stakeholders in the trust kind of circle. First and foremost, it's, it's the self. So a hundred million percent know that if you can't trust yourself, then you can't trust anyone else. And so that became very, very clear to me that trust has to start from within. And then I started kind of branching out. Well, who else do we touch? And I thought about my employees. I, we a hundred percent rely on our employees, right? They're the only reason why this company exists. And if it, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't do, we couldn't do the job and then we couldn't deliver. And then, you know, the whole thing would fall apart. So that two-way street of my employees needing to trust me that I had a vision that we're going on a plan and, you know, that they were going to get a a paycheck at the end of the week and vice versa that I could, I could trust my employees because I think as you're, as a company grows, you need to release power and control and learn to delegate. And that's all a whole different trust game built in there. And then I started thinking about our, our clients, right? So our clients give us a document, we translate it back and they get a, they pick it back up and they're like, this this looks great. I I can't understand a single word that's on the paper, but I'm trusting you that this is great. And I thought, my God, that's crazy, right? They're reading these documents or they're not reading them. They're receiving them and just trusting that they're great. And so I thought there's so many levels of trust baked into that relationship. And then I thought, well, what, who really matters in this whole translation business anyway? And it's, it's what I'm calling the end user. So it's the person that reads instructions on a medical device that have been translated into their language to figure out how to use it. It's the person that's reading instructions on on how to take their medication. It's that family back in the hospital 25 years ago that had to rely on me as their voice to understand what was going on with their baby. And that's level of blind, blind trust was so powerful and so big, I really felt like I wanted to take some time to, uh, to understand it. What, what is it? How do you get trust? Can you, can you build it? Can, you know, once it's gone, can you get it back? All these different things that I've spent the last year and a half exploring, all things trust. And when do you expect the book to actually release? So we're looking for a February launch, pre-launch in February, and an industry launch. So my first in-person industry launch will be in Dublin in March. 
So really excited for that. And then um, and then other launch launch events will happen after I get back from Dublin. But my my industry has been so kind and so supportive. Um, I really want to to give back to them first. So that's why we're doing our first big thing. And amazing. Well, and it does sound like this, this book about trust is a whole lot more than just your industry, which it makes it exciting. Now, just based on your explanation about it, I want to hit on the legal part of what you do though, because you talk about it, there's trust. What happens when something goes wrong? Mm, Well, things go wrong all the time. So I think it's um, how prepared is all parties with that, with that, when something goes wrong, right? Because life happens, something, something's always going to go wrong. You can't control every parameter. Um, I sometimes joke that my next business, I'm going to sell hammers because I feel like hammers don't break, you know, they show up, like they're pretty reliable. I'm really, really going to conquer the hammer business, but um what happens? So I think it's all in the preparation and knowing that something's going to happen and how are you going to respond to that? And we talked about this a little bit in the first half. It's like people are people and people are most likely the thing that is going to go wrong in this industry. Let's talk about if a document's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was produced by a person huh? and if they didn't get it right, what happens? The legal ramifications. What if somebody takes the wrong medication? And it's happened. Like you can Google and you can see many, many examples of, of, of a translation gone bad. And so where along that continuum of trust, where did the breakdown happen? Because for me, it's number one, acknowledging that, that there was a breakdown, that something happened. But most importantly, it's walking through the process to figure out how that happened and how we can fix that particular pivot point so it doesn't happen again, right? So it's one, acknowledging, and I believe in 100% open and honest communication about what happened because something's always going to happen. And I've stopped trying to sugarcoat what, what the actual events were. I just say, we screwed up X, Y, Z happened. Here's the ramifications. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. But it's in that preparation and taking the time to, to recognize that we are human and, and that stuff happens. That's so true. So Ingrid, how much are you able to tell people, interpreters, what they can and can't wear. Mm-hmm. So reason we can set parameters as to what professional looks like. And actually, this is a very interesting question because we I, we just talked about this in things like wearing a padded bra versus a, an unlined bra and what you can see in the different bras and what may or may not be appropriate in a, you know working at your local coffee shop compared to going on site at a fortune 100 company when certain body parts are visible to the to the eye and so there are things that i think people do need guidance on they need coaching they need mentoring to understand what is appropriate and what is not appropriate especially now when i think what was expected before covid right i mean i, I wouldn't have dreamed going to a meeting without a blazer and a button up and heels and but now I don't I don't want to do that. I, that's not comfortable for me. Even my own kind of preferences in in my um, formality of dress have changed. But I still recognize that you have to be professional and you have to show up in a professional way. Not only do you carry yourself better, do you perform better, I think when you're dressed professionally, but you have to demand that level of of competence, confidence and respect in the people that you're working with and showing up in a way that's that's meaningful and and respectful. Makes sense. And 
if you require it across the board, you're generally pretty safe. Yeah. See, it yeah, always goes back to the bra. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I talk right? about that all the time. I mean, I talk about your undergarments till ad nauseum on this podcast, but it is so true. It's really, really important. It, it is important. And then flip back and forth between this men have the right to show up however they want to show up and you know, self-expression and not only women, but anybody, right. Everybody has the right to show up as as their, you know, as their true self, but there's a time and a place for it. And if you want to be taken seriously and you want to be respected, you need to dress the part, right? That's fine. If you're going to the park or you're going to the club or you're going to, you know, getting your Starbucks or something, but you're showing up on a fortune 100 campus performing a high level professional duty job. You have to, you have to dress the part. Got to put your uniform on you sure do and you don't want to be the one talked about you don't want to be talked about as just see that well, no and I, just no and i don't want to call somebody and say listen you can't show up so we do we do level set expectations of what how people um, are expected to show up what they're expected to look like that makes sense and it's it probably you really probably have to go over it more than once, especially when you're working with subcontractors. These are not your employees. So that brings a whole different element into it. Well, not only are they subcontractors, but they're from every corner of the world mm-hmm. with all sorts of different cultural expectations and cultural norms. So, so there's that that you bring into the mix as well. I want to pivot for a second because again, we've talked about, you got to have thick skin. I love the fact that you approach everything with, open, honest communication. I loved when we met, I love that you were just so engaging and interested and Hey, I do this and I'd love to be on your podcast, which I just appreciate. How do you show up? I mean, I know how you show up because I met you when you look in the mirror at the beginning of the day, what do you see Ingrid? Well, to answer your first question, 25 years ago, I would never have walked up to somebody and said, you've got a podcast. Oh my gosh, I want to be on your podcast. So I think we learn with time, with competence and confidence, how to have a voice. And we learn the power of our voice. And I think for for women, especially in my experience as a woman and as a young woman, I needed to learn the power of my voice and how I could tap into that voice. And also recognize that you can't do anything alone. And no one is going to come knocking at your door saying, oh my gosh, you must have a problem. How can I help you solve it? (laughs) Like, (laughs) so if we don't put ourselves out there and we don't use our voice, I feel like we're doing a huge disservice because you're not communicating. You have amazing followers on your podcast. You both have an amazing exuberance and energy and, and life behind you. And I want to tap into that because I want this podcast to be amazing and excellent for you. And I also want it to be amazing and excellent for me. I want that experience, that bilateral experience to be to be great for both of us. So I think, you know, taking time to, to find your voice is really, really important, especially for young women. How do I want to be when I wake up every day is I want to continuously strive to be the biggest and best version of myself every single day. And unless I can go to sleep at night knowing that I did the best that I could that day to try to achieve that goal, I'm not, I'm not happy. So whether it's a small thing or a big thing, that's my goal. I think that should be your second book. (laughs) What you just said on this podcast, because I work with women all day long to be the best version of themselves from the outside, right? Mm -hmm. Because when a woman likes what she's wearing, she can be a better version of herself. But what you just said is incredible. 
And I want you to remember that. So if you decide to write a second book, that's a book that women are going to want to read. Not that they wouldn't want to read your first book. That's what I hear all the time. And Mm -hmm. there are more women that don't understand that or are trying to get where you are than are Mm -hmm. where you are. So that was incredible. Thank you. And it occurs to me when you're talking, your business is coming up on 17 years old. Your child is how old? 17. So all of this was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of life going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, single mom and he was an infant and I had to find a better way because running around like a chicken with my head cut off all day wasn't going to work wasn't going to cut it. So he has been alongside me since day one. He's seen it all. All I mean, all the good, all the bad, all the me crying, saying, I hate this job. I want to find a different way to celebrating all the little wins. Yeah. He's, <laughs> bless his soul. he's seen it all. What's the legacy you want to leave for him? More than anything, I want him to recognize the infinite possibilities that the life um, in front of him, that the world around him offers. And um, I want him to aspire to do great things. And I want him to aspire to do the things that bring him joy and and fill up his bucket. And I I really want him to to be the best version of, of himself every single day. I don't know what his future holds. I don't think anybody does. But what I do know is I feel comfortable in that I've done the best that I can to be a great role model and supporter of, of him and feel confident that he, you know, he's ready to fly. His, his wings are, are ready to, to, to launch and he'll be ready. I you've, hope. Got, you've got some adjustments coming up, right? Is he college bound? Is he trade school? What is, what do you think? Do you, does he even care if we're talking about him or would you just assume I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I talk about him all the time, so he's used to it. Um, yes. He, he wants to go to college in Europe. So he's been through a French immersion program since, since kindergarten. He also speaks Spanish. Um, he has a site set on Switzerland is where he really wants to go. So we, um, we were in Switzerland this summer looking at colleges and yeah, he's, he's on his path. And just more places for you to go and more places for me to go. Have a speaking engagement. Exactly. Right. Maybe I'll show up on his like one-on-one introduction to whatever. Be like, Hey, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> oh, that would be a typical mom move. It, it right? definitely would, but probably not really appreciated. <laughs> by, probably by not. Him. No, he's got a, he's got to spread his wings. You know, I think that I we're blessed as, as parents, if, if our kiddos are, are happy and in, in a good place. So that's all I hope for him. What do we I always- said to Katie when we were doing our, our research that your Instagram, you have mom is the first. Yeah. And I love that because you're successful in what you do, but your first thing is being a mom. And I think that that represents you. And whoever goes to your Instagram, whether it's for professional or for friends or your kids, parents, whatever it is, that's the first one. And I, uh, that says a lot about you. Thank you. What's your superpower, Ingrid? Ooh, what's my superpower? Well, hmm, that's a really great question. I joking, well, sort of joking, but I'm really, really good at playing the tambourine. And I know that that seems a little crazy because 
hard. But here's the thing about the tambourine is that it's portable. You can take it everywhere. And it brings such a level of, of livelihood and, 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 and energy to almost any setting. So it's really, it is, it is the unicorn instrument that just brings joy and happiness with it wherever, wherever I go. Yes, it's kind of kitschy to say that I'm really good at playing the tambourine because it's not really that hard to play the tambourine. But, but there's other things about the tambourine that, that make it make it really special. Do you travel with the tambourine? I have multiple tambourines. I have probably 20 tambourines. I even have a little tambourine necklace. I have little tambourines, I have big tambourines, I have light up tambourines. I have, yeah, it's a great instrument. I highly encourage you to pick it up. It takes so have absolutely you been zero skill. Tambourines since you were a young girl, or did you pick that up as an adult? I think I picked it up as an adult, really. I mean, it's probably just me wanting to bring a level of fun. One of my core values is fun. And so it's me just inserting myself in a loud tambourine-like way, fun into wherever I am. I love that so much. I can't even tell you. I remember years ago, years and years and years, when I had just started my business, well, I had started my business, brought it into the lumber company, and I had a lot to learn, a lot to learn, especially when it came to accounting and finance and, and all of that. and and. I did fine on my own, but this was a big, much bigger deal. And we were, I was going into a very serious meeting. It was right around Christmas time. And I remember thinking, I got to do something for fun. This is going to be a really difficult meeting. There's a lot of difficult things to talk about. And so I bought those cheap Santa hats and mm-hmm. brought some little shaker Christmas things in and walked into the yeah. meeting and handed these out to everyone sitting at the table. I said, we're going to talk about the exact same thing, but we might as well at least have a smile on our face when we're talking about it, which made a big difference. They all thought I was nuts and, you know, we're still all good friends. I love that fun aspect. Yeah. You've got two choices. You can be happy about something or you can be mad about something. You can bring energy or you can suck the energy, right? You can, you can, you can lean into fun or you can just be crabby and, and, and not fun. And, and I know for sure, for me, better person when I'm having fun, mm-hmm. not that everything is fun and games. Like there are things that are not fun, right? Firing somebody is not fun. Reviewing financial, you know, reports is not fun. Cleaning is not fun, whatever. There's a million things that are not fun, but as much as possible to try to have a positive attitude is just a way better life for me. Okay, so I have another question. If you were a dog breed, what dog breed would you be? Oh, well, I would for sure be like a golden retriever. I mean, they're so happy and their tails wag and they're just so full of love and and energy and playful and, you know, cuddly. Of course, I have a dog, so don't tell her that I said that because she's not a golden retriever. She's a Morkie. She's a Maltese Yorkie and she's real annoying. She's like, she's kind of cuddly, but man, she likes to bark and especially when delivery people come to the house. Don't tell her I said that. We won't tell her. It's a secret. Ingrid, (laughs) uh, on top of everything else, um, you've brought a wonderful nonprofit to us. Before we talk about your nonprofit, we're going to take a quick little break. So excited to have a minute with Renee Keller from Renee Keller Interior Design. Renee, what is a good reason why someone should look at having a qualified interior designer working on their project? Well, Katie, one of the main reasons is that we can save you time and money and overwhelmed feelings. There's an awful lot that goes into putting a project together, isn't there? There absolutely is. There is a lot of communication, documentation, and a lot of decisions that need to be made. Now, what about if a person really feels like they want their style to come through? What we do is we have a questionnaire that we have our clients fill out, and we actually have a kickoff meeting, and we get to know the clients. We learn a 
lot about the space that they're planning and we like to hear about what each space is going to be used for and why. One of your favorite words is joy. Yes. <laughs> you bring joy to the projects that you work on. Yes. Joy to me is family, is your surroundings. And for me, if you don't have joy, you don't have life. If people want to get a hold of you to bring joy into their home, how do they do that? They would connect with us uh, via reneekeller.com, R-E-N-A-E-K-E-L-L-E-R.com. Good talk, Renee. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> Ingrid, I got to tell you, this has been so much fun. I really, really enjoyed this. And I really love the organization that you've brought forward for yeah. as we have our nonprofit spotlight. Tell us who you, you've brought forward to us. So Frasier, <laughs> Frasier is an organization um, that is near and dear to my heart. It's a local organization based here in Minneapolis, um, although they are expanding. And they specialize in helping kiddos through hard times, mental health issues, autism issues, all sorts of, of different uh, challenges that, that little people have. And it's an organization that I think exemplifies what it is to be the biggest and, and best version of yourself every day by giving these little people and the people that are in their lives, whether it's, you know, family or support people, the tools to help them be successful, both for the, from the child's aspect and from the, the adult that's caring for them. We've had our, our bouts uh, with, with mental health issues in, in our family and I know firsthand the, the power of the excellent mental health support community that we have here in Minnesota, and I know how unique it is. And so that's, that's something that's really important for me is to ensure that, that the tools are there, that the resources are there, that families have a place to go at their, at their moments of darkest despair. Excellent. And Fraser, specialty healthcare and inclusion services for autism, mental health, disability services for children, teens, adults, and families. Fraser.org, which is F R A S E R.org. I don't think you can be a person who has lived any amount of time on this earth without having experienced mental health in some place in your family. And organizations like this are absolutely so important. So thank you for bringing them forward. Thank you. Thank That's you a good one. Me to talk about them. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, and thank you for being with us. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, the name of your company, give us all the contact information. All the contact information. Okay, so the name of the company is Inco International. And if you are clever, you might see that it's short for Ingrid's company. That was my uh, naming genius back in 2006. <laughs> So we've got Inco International and um, you can find us at IncoInternational.com and you can find us on all the social platforms at Inco International and that's, that's where we are. So happy to help anybody that needs to take anything from one language to another. Fantastic. Have you ever translated a love letter? Oh my gosh. Yes. Not only did we translate a love letter, but we helped gentlemen who had fallen in love with a woman online. And needed her to help convince her family to allow her to come to the United States to be with him. So we had to have these conversations where our interpreter had to help facilitate these conversations for him to talk to this woman's mom and dad to get her to come to the United States. So that was fun. <laughs> and are they still together? I think they're still together. I don't know. I mean, it was kind of like, I don't know. 
they didn't really keep you in the loop. They're not keeping. They didn't you in keep the loop. us in the loop. No, but we've done things like we've we've helped um, weddings before. You know, if there's if like the bride or groom's family's from a different country and from from the other family, and they want to communicate, so that that's that's something that's not super common, but but it has happened. Or um, you know, standing up and and reciting certain kind of um, toasts to different people at during the wedding reception. So yeah, there's yeah. That's a, that's a good question. So what is the funniest thing that you can think of that happened interpreting something that's, you know, when you're having a tough day, maybe you think about. Okay, back to back to the people are people. But we have a story, um, an interpreter that we call Shrimp Lady. And Shrimp Lady, Shrimp Lady, yeah. Shrimp Lady was on site, a, a very high profile conference, multilingual global conference. Like she's top of the top interpreter. So then there, there's a lunch break and there's a buffet. And somehow shrimp lady thought it was appropriate to bring a cooler with her to the buffet and dump all the shrimp, the cooler, hide the cooler outside in the bushes. And it was a fiasco. Let me tell you, not only is that just kind of strange, like who plans on stealing all the shrimp? I'm not really sure. But the, the chef was like, we need the shrimp back. She's <laughs> like, I don't have the shrimp. And he was like, no, like, we don't have any more food. Like, these people need the shrimp. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so it was this back and forth. And then the shrimp or the, the chef takes her out and, like, shows her where the, the cooler is and, you know, under the bushes. So he, he ends up, like, taking the shrimp out of the cooler, like, recooking it or something, putting it back on the buffet. I mean, it was the craziest situation. And what is so amazing about this client is they were concerned that maybe she had food scarcity issues and was wondering if they should send her home with like a gift card to go buy groceries. And I thought, okay, first of all, this is the most obscure situation. Like I've never known anybody to steal shrimp from a buffet when they're working, right? It's so many levels of strange But second thing, I mean, she was making, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it was probably like interpreters, some of their day rates are high, right? She was making like $2,500 a day for interpreting. I'm like, I don't think that she has food scarcity issues. I think she'll be fine. But thank you so much for being concerned. Well, we now know why she got that title. And is she still working for you? (laughs) She is not. No. So in front of Shrimp Lady, we put her, her first name is parentheses, do not hire you know, <laughs> and then in her description, it's shrimp lady. Okay. I gotta say that's, that's, that's a great way to take us out. <laughs> 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 Lastly, Ingrid Christensen is who you are on. No, what are you? Ingrid Beth on. I'm Ingrid Beth on the Insta Ingrid Christensen on Facebook and LinkedIn. And ease yeah. all the ease in Christensen. All the ease. E-N-S-E-N, the only right way to say it. <laughs> spell only, it. Yes. yes, and all the I's in Ingrid. I know, yes, it's lots of vowels. That's you okay. Have, you'd have to buy a lot of vowels if you're spelling my name on the, <laughs> the Wheel are, of Fortune. You are delightful, and we wish you all the best. We'll be looking for the book to come out, and we'll be sharing on social media. Thanks, Ingrid. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been nothing but fun. Well, Lisa, Ingrid did not disappoint. What a interesting industry to learn a little bit about. Fascinating. Like my brain is going a mile a minute thinking about all of these things that I've never thought about before. Right. You asked her about the love letter and then she talked about it 
I was like, wow. So it was fascinating. And she's so much fun. And she's so delightful. I really enjoyed having her on our podcast. I agree. To all of those listening, we hope that you're enjoying our podcasts. And if you would be so kind, go to your platform and follow us, like us, give us a rating, whatever you need to do. They're all a little bit different. But definitely engage with us because that's what keeps us going. And that's what helps us. So if you can help us, we really appreciate it. And if there's anything you want to let us know, reach out to us, theviewinyourmirror.com. And we have an email address, info at theviewinyourmirror.com is a very easy way to reach out to both of us. From theviewinyourmirror.com, you can also directly link to Lisa's personal page and my personal page. We're on Instagram. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, both of us independently. And as the view in your mirror, we thank you so much for coming along with us once again. And we know just like Ingrid does that when you look in your mirror, you are looking to be the best you you can possibly be because nobody else gets that title until next time. 